Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, the place to get into all things movies. We'll leave no genre untouched, from romance to horror, adventure to comedy, and everything in between. We'll cover the good, the great, the bad, and the can I please get the last two hours of my life back ones you really wish that you could forget. So grab your popcorn and soda, sit back, and relax. It's time for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat Podcast, a place where we talk about good movies, bad movies, and everything in between. At the end of the episode, we will give you a rating between zero to five movie reels. Zero being, how do I get the last two hours of my life back? To five being, as soon as the credits are over, I'm watching it again. Also remember to follow and subscribe to Home Class Movie Chat. It really helps the podcast to grow. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please tell your friends about us. We'd love them to join. I'm your host, Paul, and with me is my co-host and, yes, wife, Kat. Hello. Just before we get into the movie, if you want to get in contact with us, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Home Class Movie Chat. We're also on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Apple Podcasts, and also Spotify. And you can rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts as well. We'd love to have you give us an awesome rating. And yes, on we Twitter are awesome. we're, yes, we are. And on Twitter, we're, um, what? Movie, uh, movie Chat 3. Yeah. But if you type in Home Class Movie Chat, you should find us. Oh, absolutely. So that being said, today, what movie are we doing? Because we were going to do, uh, we were going to do Outbreak. Yeah, we were going to do we, Outbreak, but we realized that it is Anzac Day weekend. So lest we forget... We shall do Gallipoli this week in honor of the brave Australian New Zealand service members who lost their lives at Gallipoli. Absolutely. Who served and in many cases lost their lives at Gallipoli. Yes. We, uh, we watched that last night and we, it's interesting after you watch a movie a couple of times and you think to yourself, oh, I know, I pretty much know this movie, but it's only after sitting there and really reviewing the movie again that you realize that there are some things you, you actually didn't know and that you missed about the movies and some social ways that you can see the movie in a different light. So that's what we basically did yesterday. And it's also interesting to watch a film because we saw this originally when it came out many, 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 many moons ago, more so than we want to remember. Yeah. Um, probably Mel Gibson as well. <laughs> but it, seeing it in the perspective of an adult and now as a parent it really gives it a whole new dimension it, it, it certainly gave me a different appreciation of what war movies were about i mean my father took me to see this movie in the cinema i mean it was released in 1981 so i was nine when i went to see this this movie and as a nine-year-old you didn't appreciate any of the movie because i wasn't overly interested in it dad was so into war and stuff like that that he wanted me to go and see this i don't think it was for teaching purposes it was just because it was something that he was interested in. and one of the things that i really do love about this movie is that it is not a war movie per se in that it really wasn't about the battle it was about the innocence and invulnerability, believe, perceived and believed invulnerability of young men. 
Do you think it was like a coming of age movie? In some ways, I think it really was, especially for Archie. Yeah. The main, the main central character. Yeah, because he really, you could see his emotional growth throughout the movie, but. Well, actually, actually, I would I would argue that the the more the bigger arc and the greater difference happened in Mel Gibson's character, whereas Archie was really innocent about it all right up until that very end. Yeah, yeah, he still had that naive outlook that this was one giant adventure, and even when he was writing, you know, his folks back at home, he was saying, "I oh, know we're we're all." you know, uh, as we're all thinking that this is like just one giant adventure that we're in. Yeah. Not thinking that this giant adventure can get you killed. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, young men at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, they don't, they can't conceive the fact that they are mortal. You yeah. know, we always joke that the 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 young people think that they're you know young and immortal, and it but it's true. And that's what you said to me last night. That they, even when I was talking about it to you, you were saying, "Yeah, but remember, kids they that age and even now think that they're immortal. They are they they're yeah. bulletproof." And and at that point in time, it was the honorable and patriotic thing to do to serve your country, and it was a very romantic notion to die for your country. Yeah. In the service to said country. As I said to you, you know, when we were talking about it, that as much as I want to believe, and, and, and I love my country, I really do, but I couldn't see myself volunteering to go and get slaughtered because of my country. And that was one thing that I found, and we'll get into it as we're going along in the movie, of um, even um, Mel Gibson's character's naivety. You know, with him. Well, saying, he he was a lot more cynical, for, even from the beginning. Yeah, but you remember when he said, you know, to his father, "I'm not going to go and and fight for for the British Empire." And I yeah. said to you, "Hang on a minute. He Australia is part of the Commonwealth. That means it's owned by the Queen. That means it's part of the British Empire. Yeah. That means you are going to fight for the British Empire. And even when I was singing that song, if England needs a hand, well, here it is. Uh. Well, yeah. you're fighting for England. You're fighting for England. <laughs> you're fighting for the British Empire, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, uh, it, all right. Well, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. So right, why so don't you start with oh, the little bit of the introduction okay, so, to the movie, and we'll we'll go back to the beginning. Okay. So Gallipoli uh, is a 1981 Australian war drama film. It was directed by Peter Weir. Uh, when it was released, it was had a, actually it only had a budget of uh, 2.8 million dollars. But when it actually hit the box office, it grossed in Australia 11.7 million and 5,732,587 in the US. So that was actually really quite a good return on a very, as they could say, a very low budget movie. Um, I mean, we had other movies like uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock and stuff like that, and uh, for more along the lines of like The Light Horseman in 87. But this was actually a rather good turn, rather good return for two point eight million dollars to get eleven point seven million dollars back. Yeah, that's not so, too bad. It's very good. So we're going to open up with the movie. Um, the movie opens up in Western Australia in May nineteen fifteen. Archie Hamilton, an eighteen-year-old stockman and prize-winning sprinter, longs to enlist in the Australian Imperial Forces. He is trained by his uncle Jack and idolizes Harry Lascelles, the world champion over 100 yards. Archie wins a race with a bullying farmhand, Les McCann, 
Archie running barefoot and Les riding his bareback horse. That, okay, that to me was just establishing the stupidity of young men. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, know? if you've got a God-given gift, as Jack said, about, you know, you could be as, as you know, up there with LaSalle's, you could even be greater than LaSalle's, and you are, do you remember that, I not not trying to digress in this movie, but do you remember in Back to the Future when Marty is always basically, when he's called chicken, he has to prove himself that yeah. he's not a chicken? Yeah. Well, this is exactly what happened with um, with Archie. Yeah. There's Les saying basically, oh, you know, uh, we'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll race you, you on, on foot and me on, on horseback. And then when he goes, oh, you can do it barefoot. He's basically, he's, he's doing, he's, he's calling him chicken and going, go on, let's see. Yeah. If you can yeah. Well, and that's, a, and, and it, it, it astounds me. I mean, I get calling this guy out and going and basically saying, I can run faster than you, um, horse on horseback. I basically, I can run faster than your horse. You know, I can, you know, I can, boys, boys will be boys and boys will do that. But the thing that gets me is Archie's number one passion in life is running. He is a cross country runner. No, he's a sprinter. But even so, he has a huge, vitally important race coming up in three days. Yeah. And he wants to run barefoot in backcountry. Well, I mean, he's going to shred is, his feet, and there is no way in hell that's going to heal in three days in time for that race. No, and even Jack says when they go to the to the race after traveling all that distance, you know, um, Harry Lascelles, you know, pulled out on a of a big race, and no one thought the worst of him, and you've still got the ability to pull out. You know, um, I think at that at that moment, Archie basically went, you know, what we've come all this way, and I've screwed up already with you know doing this with this cross country race. So I'm not going to, you know, embarrass you and I'm not going to, you know, disappoint you for what I've done. But yeah, and it wasn't the fact that he, you know, he didn't originally say that he was going to run bareback or sorry, barefoot. What happened was when he was saying, you know, his um, his friend that uh, his friend being an Aboriginal man and, and the other guy goes, oh, you like the company of blacks, do you? And he goes, oh, you know, he's my mate. And then he goes, well, he can run faster than you can ride. This is this is Black's, you know, thing of like he can yeah. run faster than you can ride. And he goes, is that a fact? And he goes, yeah, I could, you know, I'll take the track and I'll do this and that. And he, the other yeah, guys, so his mate started it. Yeah, and the other guys are sitting there going, well, go on, have a go, Les. You know, it's it's five miles far, you know, further. What he's going to do than what you're going to do. And he goes, okay, you're on. And when he goes to grab his boots, Les is the first person who goes, ah, uh-uh, barefoot. And that's when he goes, oh. That's because he knew that the, that he would probably beat him. <laughs> yeah. But then when Archie gets up and goes, ah, bareback, you could see his the, the, on his face goes, oh, crap, because I can't ride bareback because it really is basically just your stirrup and that's yeah. it. There's no footholds. There's no nothing. No. You're true just true bareback, all you have is the, the, the reins. Stirrup. Yeah, the reins. Yeah, and that's it. And yeah, the, the stirrup is what you put your feet in. It's oh, not there. Sorry, the reins. And basically you're holding on for dear life, hoping you don't slip off. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, there is that part where it's like, you know, three days, man. You had three days to go. Why did you do this three days out? And as yeah. as, as Uncle Jack says, you know, you've got, you know, the God-given gift to be our very finest, you know, sprinter up there with LaSalle's. And three days out, you go to do And this. you throw it away like that? Yeah. And it's like, like oh. what are you thinking? I'm surprised you didn't smack him up the side of the head. 
well, very knock I mean, some sense into him. Well, Jack being a manly man, you know, he is, but he was, tra- he'd been training him all that time. Yeah. To make and sure it's like you're just was- throwing it all away. Yeah, three days before. Disrespecting right. himself, disrespecting his uncle. You know, it's like, what were you thinking, kid? No, I don't understand. But then the amazing part is he actually did go on to win that race. He did. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, as we're getting to that, um, Frank Dunn is an unemployed ex-railway laborer who has run out of money. He <laughs> he, is accompli- he is an accomplished sprinter. He was actually comes, came from Perth as a, as a Western Australian sprinter. Um, so he's a company he hopes to win the prize money at the athletics carnival. He also bets a lot of money on himself winning. And if you remember when he goes up there and he goes, Oh, you know, uh, do you take bets? And the other guy's like, No, no, it's illegal. How much were you wanting to put on? Yeah, <laughs> oh, 20, <laughs> yeah, any, any, anything is possible with the right price. Yeah, because he has to sit the first guy has to sit there and goes, Oh, you know, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't bet, but you know, if you're not law enforcement, then. Yeah, we can. We, we can, can, we can work with that. <laughs> I thought, oh, that was very. And his the other mate sitting there going, "Go on, we can do that. We can we can place this 20, yeah. 20 quid bet on him." Um, okay, so back in um, nineteen fifteen, twenty quid would be about how much? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how much twenty quid was. I know I don't know what twenty quid is. I mean, is that like twenty dollars or is that um, twenty pound? Twenty pound? Yeah. I don't know what. I'll I'll, we, I'll find out. Yeah, because we were still in on the imperial um, guineas and tuppence and thruppence uh, and hapy, hapneys and stuff like that. So I don't know. We were still under that um, finance, well, that dollar sign as far as twenty quid. So I don't know what quid was, because the other guys go in when they get to um, Cairo. Well, that's that's only two bob. I don't know what two bob was <laughs> was either. Well, okay, so in nineteen fifteen. Yeah um one pound was worth 97 dollars 97.72 in 2017. okay so what was 20 so the value of 20 pounds in well this is in 1912. yeah um okay 420. okay so if you add it it would have been close to 500 dollars. so 500 bucks yeah that's actually pretty so if he won that along with the regular prize money that they were actually going for, yeah. plus that extra money, he would have actually been, because he said, oh, I wanted to set up a bike shop. So that basically he would have been almost $1,000. Yeah. So he yeah. could have easily set up his bike shop. Yep. Wow. Okay. Archie and Uncle Jack uh, journey to the athletics carnival. Frank is surprised when Archie beats him. And it's <laughs> now when he actually beat him, he actually, um, Mel Gibson's character was a standing start rather than a crouching start. Now Mel Gibson being Frank Dunn. Yeah, Frank clear. Dunn, and he was he he was standing. He was doing the standing start running mm-hmm. rather than going from the ground like a yeah. normal sprinter, starting that way. Um, okay, uh, okay. So he so Frank actually feels bitter at first and feels being robbed of his bet. No, oh, yeah, especially because uh, Archie didn't win by that far. It was by a nose. No, but remember when he put the money down and the other guy goes, "Okay, so have you ever heard of Archie Hamilton?" And he goes, "Oh no," and he goes, "Well, he he's a local lad and he's one of our finest sprinters. I don't want to take your money without you being warned, basically warning him that there's a good chance you are actually going to lose your money." Yeah. Because Archie's awesome. Yeah, and he's like, no, I've, I've, I've won everything in Perth that I can win, so I can definitely yeah. beat this kid. Cocky but, little bugger. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that sounds Australian. Like a little bugger. 
Eventually, Frank approaches Archie in a cafe and getting over his loss, they both decide to travel to Perth to enlist. Now, just stop in there for a moment. After the, the race where Archie wins the wins the, the money and wins the, the medal, the light horse come onto the field and actually starts to try and enlist young men into mm-hmm. the service. Archie does approach the enlistment because remember when he, um, he'd been saying to Jack, that his friend um, had enlisted and Jack goes, yeah, well, don't even think about that. You're too young. You know, you're only 18. You're not able to be, what was it? 16 or whatever it was. 16. 16. He had to be 18 to enlist. And he goes, you know, you're too young. And he goes, well, it doesn't matter because, you know, when they see me ride being in the, being a a stockman, I'll get in with no questions asked. And it was only his friend, Les, who happened to be at the race and happened to be in the, in the um, tent in the tent said, I, oh, you know, this young man's father would crucify him if he knew he was here. He's only 16. At that stage, he'd already done the trial as far as the writing goes and actually had gotten approval to enlist in the army. But when he decided, okay, I wasn't coming back. He said to, he said to Jack, you know, Jack, I'm not coming back with you. And he goes, no, I didn't think you were because your, your bag weighed a ton, you know? And he goes, what's in it? And he goes, oh, just books and stuff. And he goes, but you know, do you, you you're running off to a war? Because he remember when he had a had a conversation with with Jack in his little house, and he goes, oh, you know, by the time you were my age, you'd, you'd travel the world and you'd seen this and he'd seen that. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm, I made most of that stuff up. And he goes, no, he said, you 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 left, you know, to go away. And he goes, but I never ran away to go to a war. Yeah, and I never ran away to get myself to try and get myself killed. Yeah, and that's what he was trying to to instill in Archie is like I never ran away. I wanted. You know, I, I, I wasn't away. doing that to try and inspire you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was running away for adventure. I wasn't running away. But you can't away. tell stories of adventure to young boys and not expect them to want to go on adventures. Exactly, but as as Jack said, I was I was running away to adventure, not to a war. There's a difference. Yeah. But when he says, "Okay, so." But what not, happens is, but not in in Archie's mind because they're all one and the same to him. Exactly, and then what happens is that when um, Les goes to goes to the commanding officer, you know this guy's only sixteen. That's it. He can't enlist in 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 there right now because they all know he's underage. So that's when Frank says, "Well, do you want to, to you want you want you want to try again?" And he goes, "No, no, no, I can't. I'm too young. They've already, they already know." And he goes, "No, not here in Perth." So they hop a train. And, you know, to travel to Perth. Unfortunately, on their travels to Perth, the train lets, because they they go into a boxcar. If you remember, they open the door to a boxcar. And he goes, are you sure this is going to Perth? And, and of course, Frank's like, well, where else is it bloody going to go? It's only got one way to go. Well, he didn't realise that they actually dismantle and take off the boxcars as they go along to different station areas. So, you know, whoever's there will actually be able to unload. Yeah, so they yeah. wake up the next morning in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they're in the middle of the outback. <laughs> and with and they have to wait two weeks for another train to come through. Now, okay, the war is not going to be over in two weeks. No. So but the these are God, young men and they young men are not patient. Yeah, so for the love of God, Archie, just friggin' wait there. Two weeks is not that bad. And of course the Aboriginal guy that's there goes, Okay, well, two weeks or you can try your luck with a desert. And he goes, if the if the th- if you don't run out of water first, the black fellas will get you. The the, the traditional Aboriginal yeah. people of that area could actually hunt you down and kill you. Yeah. So you're going to take your chances. You either walk across this arid, open uh, outback, in the middle of nowhere, or wait here for two weeks. What yep. does Archie do? 
He goes walking. Off he goes. And what does Frank have to do? He has to run after him because we're going to Perth. Well, at least the Aboriginal guy gave him a bag of water. But I didn't realize this, that Archie gave all the prize money he'd won in the race to Jack and tells him that he would not be coming home as he has decided to enlist. Didn't even realize that. I didn't actually see him give the money to... Yeah, I don't remember that part. No, neither did I. Um, so because once again now Archie and Frank are penniless, they got no money. They obviously and what a... happened to all the money? Well, the, well, he he gave all this prize money to to Jack. So I don't oh, know. to Uncle Jack. Sorry, Uncle Jack. So I don't know where he's. So now they've got no money. Yeah, they're on. They've hopped this train to go to Perth. However, it stopped in the remote remote desert instead of <laughs> Perth. And of course, as Archie would do, because he's on for adventure. But see, this is what I can't understand. Two weeks, wait for a train. It'll get you to Perth. But he's like, no, 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 I've got to get there now. Why? Honey, it's- you can't wait two minutes for your dinner to heat in the microwave. Oh, for the, oh, that is complete and <laughs> utter rubbish. Oh, my God. So you can't tell me that two weeks wouldn't be forever. In Archie's mind, yeah, two weeks is yeah. uh, is forever. But It's I'm a boy sorry, thing. I can actually sit there and wait for four minutes for my dinner to get It's cooked. a boy thing. It's a boy thing. Yeah. Oh, Okay. I'd love to. I'd love to hear someone actually write to us and actually tell us whether it is a boy thing, or it's just an everyday person thing. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, I can wait for my time. But as I said, there he is going off. I've got to get to the. I've got to get to Perth now. I'm sure they they enlist throughout the year. It's not going to be okay. May's coming up, and, and there's a, a window between the eighth and the tenth of May that you can only enlist. They're always going to be enlisting people. Yeah. So wait two weeks. But he decides not. He decides to. But no. But then again, it would really, you know, slow the movie down if that were the case. Yeah. Um, So the station attendant informs them that they could either wait two weeks for the next train or walk 50 miles of the dry lake bed to reach a location with more frequent services. 50 miles. How far away is that in kilometers? Because I don't know. Um, Give me one second. People that were listening to this in America know what 50 miles is, but because I'm in Australia, I can't remember what 50 miles is in, in, in kilometers. Uh, 80 kilometers, just over, about 80 and a half kilometers. Jeez, that's a, that is a fair That's walk. a fair walk. In the middle of the outback in, with no, I mean, because because he was saying that he, you know, they have to go to watering holes to, you know, get water, obviously. Yep. Um, and that's just areas in the, in the outback. But I love it how he was saying, you know, well, how do you know where water is? And he goes, well, you just follow the um, the galahs, which are, you know, birds, and they'll lead you, lead you to water um, every... Cockatoos. Galahs or cockatoos. Yeah, cockatoos. And I love Frank goes, oh, great. Now we're, we're putting our lives in the hands of some parrots. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was actually really quite good. Yeah. Um, Although if I- they find camel tracks, that's usually a pretty safe bet to follow as well. Yeah, I know, but what's the possibility at that stage of finding a camel walking in the middle of the outback? About the same chance of finding a camel. Finding galahs. <laughs> I know. And I was sitting there while I, while I was watching the movie, looking in the in the sky going, can't can't find any yet. Mm-hmm. I can't find any, any cockatoos or any any uh, any birds at the moment. So you're in the middle of the outback. Yeah, so the only thing you're likely to see are vultures. Um, we don't have actually vultures in, in Australia. Really? Yeah, don't have well, any that's vultures. That's weird. Yeah, we don't. Oh. They always just say if if, so, if you find a dead body in the outback, it's basically you just watch the birds circling. But there's yeah, I was no gonna rule. say, but what what are the birds that pick it clean if it's not vultures? Uh, I don't know. We don't have any vultures. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Moving on to something more pleasant. 
we're on our on our heads anyway over here. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, so Archley immediately sets off while Frank chases him in an attempt to persuade him to stay, reminding him that they could die in the in the desert, much like his members of Burke and Will's expedition did. Now, Burke and Will's were the ones that circumnavigated the outback of Australia, and they actually did die in the in the outback. Burke and Wells. Burke and Wills. B-U-R-K-E and Wills. W-I-L-L-S. They're, uh, they're um, in an in Australian expedition that they actually did die. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, huh. they didn't know whether they didn't know whether they were taken They were plagued by... by delays and monsoon rains. Yeah. And when they reached Copper Creek, they found it had been abandoned just hours earlier. Yeah. Wow. And they didn't know whether they were whether they died of natural causes or they were they were killed through the Aboriginals. Um Because I guess back then the Aboriginals, like in the center part of Australia, or even in Australia itself, the true Aboriginals were almost like, um, because they hadn't really been exposed to the white man, they were almost like savages, mm. you know. Well, and that's why savage that... is a relative concept. Yeah, but that's why. To, that... in, in many cases, I'm sure that white culture seems barbaric and savage to Aboriginals. Oh, absolutely. But it was like when that, uh, that, that um, the train guy that was in that little hut said, you know, if the, if the um, desert doesn't get you, the, the blackfellas will. Yeah. Because even he knew that out, out right there in the middle of the outback and yeah. through there, there is there are white there are black people that will actually kill you. Well, you're trespassing on their land. Exactly. So yeah. okay, fair enough. Um. So uh, with Archie's navigation skills, the pair eventually reach a cattle station in safety. Now, how do they reach the, that cattle station? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, they followed the camel. <laughs> yeah, there was a man. Uh, pulling a camel along, along the through the outback and he gave him water and gave him water and food and he said you've got about 30 miles to go to a, a homestead who will give you a lift into the into the city yep now um before that before that point though yeah excuse me when they were talking about archie's um navigational skills that's yep. actually kind of a there's a moment there where he pulls out his um pocket watch and he's like, well, if you point um, the 12 to this way, then the sun. The, yeah, then the, the, the north is halfway uh, between the, the hour hand and 12 hour. Hand, yeah. So it'll tell you where north is. Yeah. And so you can use a pocket watch as a compass. And I just and, and that's a moment to remember because that figures in later in the film. The pocket watch. Yeah, it does. No, that no? line Oh, the line. Yes. Oh, OK. I'll, I must have had a stroke during then because I can't remember that part. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But I liked it when they were walking and it, and it clouded over. And uh -huh. Frank was, because the, they were arguing about the fact that Archie was like, you know, if anyone needs to go to the war, you do. And he goes, why me? And he goes, well, I'd be, I'd, you know, you, you're a coward if you're not going to join up. And he goes, the only reason I haven't flattened you, mate, is because I don't want to carry you to the next watering hole. Yeah. So as they're walking along, it clouds over. And Frank walks past him going, where's your son now? Yeah, because, where, yeah. Where's your where's your bloody compass now? Yeah, because you, you can't. But find I. It. Uh, but there's also a moment in there where Dunn, Mel Gibson's character, says that there's absolutely no way in hell he's going to join the infantry. Yeah, that's and another moment. Of, that's a very. It's another key line. That is a very good. There is a. That is actually a very good moment because mm -hmm. he has. He, he's and as you said, this is where his developing as a character really does 
play into it, but you do see him saying a couple of things that didn't really make a lot of sense. Like I will not fight for the, for queen or I won't fight for the um, British empire. And that, that comment right there, but that, yeah, we'll definitely get to that part. Um, So they reached the the safety of a cattle station upon arriving in Perth. They arranged to stay with Frank's father, an Irish immigrant. Due to Frank's Irish heritage and general cynicism, he has little desire to fight for the British Empire. However, Archie persuades him to try and enlist in the Australian light horse. Failing to ride a horse, Frank enlists in the infantry with three co-workers from the railway, Bill, Barney and Snowy. Many of their motivations for enlisting are revealed. Wartime anti-German propaganda a sense of adventure and the attraction of the uniform. All soldiers embark on a transport ship bound for Cairo. Frank and Archie are separated and embarked on different troop ships. Okay. Now, before we get to that point, yeah. um, there was a, uh, when there, they had a dinner at, I forget whose it was, but he had like three daughters. It was the cattle station. Yeah, yeah, the cattle station. Yeah. And uh, it must have been the guy leading the camel. No, um, no. When they got to the cattle station, they were they were given refuge and they were, they were asked to come to dinner. Yeah, and but anyway. And they had the um, grandmother, the father, the mother, and the three daughters. Sorry, just being accurate. Whatever. If you could see what she looks like, listeners, with her face. If you only We're... knew how much I have to put up with this all the time, not just on the podcast. He never lets me finish. We're married. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're probably going, and why did she marry this guy? Because I have a beep. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you just did that. Uh-oh. Please continue. Anyway. But it was... um sitting there at that dinner that because um frank dunn was so committed to not joining the army and he was like yeah i i wouldn't do the light horse brigade or anything and then archie's like i'm going to join the light horse and they're all like oh yes the light horse oh and the women are like oh the uniform and the father's like oh all all hail to the light horse brigade let's you know salute them and all this and that's when Mel Gibson is like, yeah, okay, maybe I should give this another thought because apparently all the chicks go for that. Yeah, and that shows you just how shallow he really is because he said to, when he goes into the the area for Archie and him to sleep, he said, you know, Frank, what were you going to do with the money if you'd won the, the race? And he goes, I was going to open a bike shop, you know, and he goes, you know, basically be a businessman. And he goes, do, do they take, you know, English sons and toffs in uh, in the light horse? And he goes, oh, you think of joining up? And he goes, well, you won't get me near the infantry, but the light horse. Now that's got some class. And you can see at that moment that Frank is not one of these patriots that want to fight for queen and country. He wants just the uniform. Yeah, because right? he gets the girls. Yeah. And when they were at the dinner and the father said, well, if I had sons, they would join the light horse. You know, I'd make, have them join the light horse. Yeah. Then the grandmother says, "Oh, yeah, while they're while they're crucifying kittens on the steps in Berlin." Oh, the Germans are crucifying Germans kittens are. on the steps of churches in Berlin. Yeah, and it's like, where are you getting this information from, Granny? Like, where where's this information? This they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but that but from? that's but that's how war is. You have to villainize the enemy to make it a righteous cause to get the young people to enlist. And that was rather an interesting thing that I found with Archie when they were in the middle of the outback and that, that guy had rescued them with the camel. 
he said, I know, um, are you guys looking for work? And he goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to war. And he goes, what war? Yeah. He goes, oh, the war against the, the Germans. Germany. And he goes, and the, the, the older man goes, well, how did it start? And Archie goes, um, well, no one really knows, but it was, it was Germany's fault. Uh, how do you know that? And well, it was, but <laughs> but, but the like, old man's no... like, well, that hasn't got nothing to do with us over here. Yeah, he's got no point of reference as to why. And Archie's like, well, but if we don't stop them, then they're going to come here. And he goes, well, then they're welcome to it because yeah. they're sitting in the middle of the outback. Yeah. He goes, well, they're they're all fighting in Turkey, and he goes, well, why why Turkey? And he goes, because Turkey is a British um, ally. Oh, sorry, it's a German ally. And he goes, oh, and then he goes, and if they come, if they, if we get defeated there, they could come here. And then she's like, well, they're welcome to it. There's a huge, there's just a whole lot of nothing out here. Nothing here. But as I said, you know, getting back to the fact that Archie and, and with Frank and Archie joining the military, when he says to him, okay, well, if you want to join the light horse, I'll, I'll have, I have to teach you how to ride. I think it was like 24 hours before they were due to, to ride or to, to go into enlistment. You can't learn that amount of horse riding expertise. No, you can't. In 24 hours. And even when he was, even with Frank just trying to get up into the saddle, he didn't even know how to do that. No. And when he gets there, as I said to you last time. And it was time, hilarious because he's sitting there and he can't even, and, he's, and he lied about doing all of this stuff as a youth. The Melbourne the horse Youth cadet. Horse Corps and whatever. Yeah. And he gets on the horse and he can't even make it go. That's right. Because he was sitting there and he goes. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody's just standing around laughing at him because the horse is just standing there eating the grass, and he's like, "Come on, come on!" Well, I like the the commanding officer that just stood there when he was up on the horse, and he goes, "Oh, come on, done. The war will be over before we get there." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's just on with his little clipboard, like, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, but of course, Archie's sitting there going, "Kick him, kick him," trying to get him to kick the yeah. horse, but. But as I said to you yesterday when we were watching this, is that when he came around, when Archie came around the last uh, corner, he actually had to bend down uh, while the horse was, was going, full sprint, to actually pick up that, that marker flag to yeah. actually give it to the commander. So I don't care how much training you think you've had in 24 hours, you're not going to actually get no. that. No, you're you fall on your fall head off. and break your neck. Yeah, you're going to either fall off and break your neck or you just it's just not going not, not to work. Yeah. So when Frank ends up by not being able to to go into the light horse, and he does meet up with his with his three friends Barney, Snowy, and Bill, yeah, they're like, oh well, well I guess we have to join something because the other guys are like, well, we're, I'm I'm not afraid to die for my country, Frank, and he's and Snow and he says to Snowy, well, good for you, Snow. That's that's great that you're not willing to that you're you're okay to die for your country. But yeah, I find it interesting. I'm not going to join the infantry. I've got no other choice. I joined the infantry. Yeah. You know, yep. and that was, that was really an arc. Because that, he could have walked away at that point. He could have, because yeah. he was, he was sitting in the, the hotel or in the, the bar and Archie had already been told he had to leave because no, no enlisted men were in to be in the, were allowed to be in the bar. Um, so then his three friends arrived because this is their last night, you know, before they, they shipped off. So it's like, okay, well, you could have just bought them a drink and said, yep, okay, my ideas are still not changed. I'm still not joining the army and good luck to you yeah. and we'll let you go. But when they're doing the, the when they go to the um, the enlistment area and they're being measured for their uniforms and the other guy's getting his teeth checked and he goes, oh, you got bad teeth. And the other guy goes, well, you're supposed to shoot the enemy, mate, not bite them. <laughs> and he goes, well, we don't take anyone with, with bad teeth. And Frank looks over and goes, hey, 
if you don't you don't pass you him, don't pass him you lose the other three too you lose all four of us and he goes oh okay i better all right <laughs> off you go what what is it to do with the fact that you've got <laughs> you've got bad teeth who cares you're gonna go there and well get if anyway. but if 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 you have a tooth that breaks or you have um need like a root canal or something you're not going to get access to that in the field no you're not and you're probably going to be in, in, in it's excruciating pain exactly so you're not going to be able to do your job yeah so that's but, why they would not take people with bad teeth is because they don't want them failing halfway through the mission yeah which but then again when they were actually they were trying to get as many people as they could you know it was it would have been their commanding officer would have probably come over to him and say, look, just pass them. We need as many men as we can. Yeah, we need the cannon fodder. We do. Some months later, Frank and his fellow soldiers train near the pyramids and spend their free time in Cairo drinking and visiting brothels. Yeah, now it was interesting because I told you something you didn't know when yeah. they were in front of the, the pyramids. Yeah. You which tell them. I had well, no idea. Yeah. Tell the podcast what they did. Which is that uh, if you look at the Sphinx down in the, the Valley of Kings, as everybody knows, it's missing its nose. And I was surprised to find out that Paul didn't know that the Sphinx's nose was actually shot off by Napoleon or his no, troops. I had no when, idea. Yeah, when Napoleon was camped there back in the day, they were doing target practice and they actually used the Sphinx to see if they could shoot its nose off for target practice to for their aiming. You know, I thought that that the fact that his the nose was gone and there was parts of, of the Sphinx was missing, I always thought that was just basically through like weather and erosion. Yeah, no, it I was never thanks to was... humans being stupid. And just shooting. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I... little disregard for that work of art. I had no idea. And remember when they were going to go and visit the brothels and they actually bought that, that picture of the human reproduction organ? And he go and of course the the guy who was trying to convince them not to go was saying that they when you go out there you might come back which is hard to cure or be sent home for some embarrassing conversations with the wife or and or girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I can only yep. imagine how many men returned from battle that gave something to their wife or well, girlfriend. Well, you can pretty much say that about any army in conflict. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it does it's not just reserved for I mean cuz it was endemic in Vietnam. Yeah. To the service guys in Vietnam and yeah. Korea and World War 2 and yeah. So really it just goes down the line. So it's not just exclusively the first and second world war. It's part of that young men being young men and having no thought to the future. So on looking at looking up, she said it was 20 piaster. That was how much that she was charging. Yeah. And he said, oh, well, that's only two bob each. So what was, what's two bob? Uh, that would be two pounds. So which would have been? Um, okay, hang on. Let me go to. Because I'm actually always curious as to how much this was. Because he says it was only two bob okay. each. Okay. Um... Or two pound each. So how much was she charging? Hang on, hold on. British pounds to piastres. Um, so she was charging 20 piastres. Egyptian pound to sterling. Okay, uh, so we want two. But equal. Okay, so today it would be f two pounds is $43.41. 
4341 times four three of them because snow never went in yeah so 40 so, like 120 over 120 dollars well that's not bad 120 for three men because they said that was really well, she was only charging two pound each. Yeah, but you're basically looking at a twenty dollar whore. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but, so she was, they were they were being taken advantage of. <laughs> but as they said, life's cheap over here, so they didn't care. They were going to get the whistles wet, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. As far as they're concerned, so during a training exercise, Frank and Archie meet once again, and Frank is able to transfer to the light horse. That was one of my favorite moments in the field. As they are now being sent to the Gallipoli Peninsula as infantrymen. Okay, they didn't so, need their horses. So when they were um, doing the training exercise. Oh, they yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love the commander when he's like, okay, so the, the army that we're going up against is, because they're infantry, Another and the, the army that we're going up against is members of the Light Horse Brigade, and because their asses are farther away from the ground than ours, they like to think that they're better and smarter than us. Yes. Let's show them just how wrong they are. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and so they have them charging at each other over this hill and, you know, and shooting blanks at each other and stuff. And Frank makes it all the way to the other side and he's just about to go and they're starting, they, they really just start beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> no. Okay. And I because like it's that. like, you know, it's, it's basically like army versus Navy. <laughs> you know, if, if you ever do like West Point versus Annapolis, there's a, it's one of the biggest rivalries in football ever yeah. in America. And so it's, it's sort of that, that level of rivalry and they go in there just wailing the crap out of each other <laughs> and certain people are assigned to be dead. Yeah. And um, so he goes over and he's about to start wailing on Archie and and they both look at each other like, oh my gosh, it's you. And they just, you know, and they're hugging each other like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. And the the officers are like, guys, we're supposed to be fighting, not hugging. He's like, yeah, but he's my mate. That's right. <laughs> he's like, I don't care. And he looks at Archie and he, he looks around. He looks at Archie. He's like, come on, lie down. And they both play dead. And you start hearing the, the officer going, okay, if you are not assigned to be dead, get back up. That's right, because you got because you need to carry the, the wounded back to base. Yeah, but the, 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 the other thing that I thought was hilarious was they have these camp followers these Egyptian kids that are constantly going around trying to do whatever. And they're carrying like baskets of oranges yeah, and things to sell to the them. soldiers. Yeah. So as the infantry at the beginning of the exercise goes charging across to the others, you see these kids <laughs> on the side going, Hey, come on, wait for me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all carrying baskets. Of and they're carrying and baskets. Of, and, and they come over and both Archie and Frank get a couple of oranges and they're just laying there eating oranges and being dead. <laughs> But I, I found that really interesting how they did that. But yeah. it was because they were selling the the oranges to the to the infantrymen. Yeah, which I thought was actually really. But I just thought it was hilarious how the kids just kept trailing after them, even though they were supposed to like going into mock battle. <laughs> what did you think about um, the? Un well, obviously there was an there was unhappiness when um, Frank ch changes from infantry to light horse. That was really interesting. So they go into the um his to Frank's commander and say that he really wants to change over to light horse. And he's no, like, it was Well Archie's. It was Archie's commander. He's like, Yeah. Um, well, but you don't even know how to ride a horse. And Archie's like, Well, we're not taking them in, we're going by boat, so we don't need the horse. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. And and he's and he's like, No, no, no. And then Archie's like, But he's a really fast runner. He is as fast as I am. Because he originally said, you know, maybe if you were brothers, 
Yeah. Which I thought was always dangerous to actually send brothers into battle. But they would do that because they like to try and keep them together, family together. And he's like, well, no, we're not doing that. You know, you're not brothers, so too bad. And he goes, oh, you know, you you guys are, are you guys sprinters? And he goes, oh, we both run under 10. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, maybe because we always need fast people in there, maybe I'll see what I can do. Yeah. So then when Frank comes back to um, and then and, and then he comes back to his buddies yeah. in the infantry and he's wearing the light horse uniform. He's like, hey, what do you think? And of course, all the girls are like looking him up and down. And, and the other guys are sitting there going, yeah, I, I guess it's all right. Well, and but um, what's his name? Snowy was really the telling part of it. And, and it, as he said, it's just bad luck for mates to split up halfway yeah. through the mission. Yeah. But you could see that once again, uh Frank had not had had not come to his arch as far as a character. Well, he because, really only cared about himself. Yeah, because he was still on, on the oh, well, this is I'm here just for the uniform. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to serve my country. I'm not. I don't want to serve the queen. I just want to be in the uniform. Yeah, and it's interesting how you've got people out there, and I've seen it on YouTube where guys are arrested by police for impersonating police officers. Yeah. They don't want to do the training. They don't want to go through all that. They just want the uniform. The mm-hmm. uniform gives you status. The uniform gives is the appeal of you're going to get some some women. Yeah. So for Frank, it's not the fact of like I'm joining the light horse because I always wanted to ride a horse. I'm joining the or light serve horse. serve my country. Be- yeah, I'm joining the light horse because the women like the uniform more than the infantry. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I want. This is the only thing that I'm. I'm, and I I, I even think that. If, if they had have said to, to Frank, well, okay, you can be in the light horse, but Archie has to drop down to your rank and go to the, infant, to the infantry, so you're the light horse now, I wonder whether he would have gone, well, no, 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 we both need to be the light horse, or whether he would have gone, okay, I'll just be the light you know, horse. At that point in time, excuse me, that point in time, he probably would have said, okay, and screw him, I'm where I want to be. Yeah, because he wants to be that prestigious yeah. in the light horse. Yeah. But... That's just Frank, and, and I think Frank his, was kind of a jerk. Yeah, and I think his his arch as a um, as a character does develop, starts to develop after this. He's not so self centered, but still at that moment saying, but to yeah, his but mate, he's still showing that he is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, they arrive at oh, and oh, so before we go on to that yeah. though, that's where they were at um, the dance with the nurse nurses. Oh, that's right. They're going to to because there's going to be an attack. At dawn at six a.m. Yeah, so they're and and so they're having a drink at the at this thing with it. Um, Archie was delivering a message, and Dunn snuck into, and the commander's like, "Yeah, tell him to get out of here. This is for officers only, but you can have a drink before you go." So the two of them end up drinking at the bar. Well, and the only dancing reason... with the nurses and yeah. all this stuff. And the only reason that he was able to do that is because when he opened up the letter, the letter said there's going to be an attack, attack at six a.m. Six a.m. And he immediately thought. Damn, this could be their last night on night, Earth. Let them enjoy themselves. Enjoy yourself. Go yeah, and have exactly. a couple of drinks, you know. So uh, so they're dancing with the nurses and, and all this stuff. And that's when Archie overhears Dunn say that as long as you have your your pocket watch in the sun, you can find your way anywhere. Yes. That's when that line comes back into play. And Archie's like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, because he could see that he is that shallow, that he doesn't Yeah, really... and he's just like, you are such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's that's the nice that's the nice version of this podcast is yeah. saying you're a jerk because I could yeah. have actually thrown something else in there. Yeah, I know you would have. That's why I wouldn't let you. Uh, they arrive at Anzac Cove and endure several days of hardship and boredom in the trenches. Frank and it's is- so funny when they first get there, the bombs are going off and they're like d- dropping to the ground going, oh, my God, what's going on? And everybody else is just like, yeah, whatever. It's down the beach. But see, this is something that I and I said to you yesterday when we were watching this is that, you know, they get off the boat. They could, they're, they're going towards Anzac Cove and they can see the explosions and they can hear the explosions. They get off the boat there's still some explosions around them. And as you said, they're ducking down for cover like scared rabbits. Frank's looking around like this is not where I should be. Yeah. When you look at Archie, it's almost like, Oh, I've, I've reached the amusement park. It's now time for me to play. He yes. was smiling and having a great time. Do he you thought it was understand? all very exciting. Hey, he thought it was all very exciting. Yeah. But does not, but doesn't Archie understand that, this amusement park is going to kill you. Not yet. He is still young and immortal. See, see, and as I said, this is something that I really never had a concept of until I watched this movie again for the podcast and really sat there and listened to it and watched it, really honed in on it, and saw that Archie is totally oblivious to life. He's got this whole idea in his mind of like, I'm going to go and enlist. I'm going to serve my country. And as, as Jack said, I never ran away to a war. And what you could do is if you run away to a war, you may die. So there's Archie standing on the beach, all excited and smiling and having a great time. Frank's the only one at this stage that's sitting there going, Archie, this is wrong. Is Archie is representative of that privileged group who has been sheltered all of his life and he has no, he's never lost anyone close to him. He has no concept of death and that he could die it's something that happens to some everybody else what are not what, to him what archie should be doing at this stage or before they even got to this point is listen to frank and maybe frank's got a little bit more wisdom as far as his his life skills go honey when have you ever known a 16 year old to listen to a 60 year old i know i i, understand. I mean come on i understand that and especially frank, a 16 year old boy frank was not 60 for god's sakes he was only in his mid-20s no, I thought you meant Uncle Frank. Oh, well, he never he never listened to Frank anyway. Uh, My, Uncle Frank, yeah. no. But, but seriously, when, when have you ever known a 16-year-old boy no, to listen to anybody and to reason? I've been 16 a couple of times myself, and I understand. A couple you of times? Know, yeah, a couple of times. My birthday's coming up next week, and I'm, I'm 16 again. Okay. Um, but Oh, lucky me. No, no, no. You have to be at least 21 so, so that I'm not committing statutory rape. All right, we'll go to 18, then that's fine. Okay. But the fact is that, you know, yes, at age 16, you feel you're immortal. You don't have any mm-hmm. concept of death because you can, you're going to live forever. Yeah. But when Archie, as I said, and I don't want to d- d- dwell on the point, but when he's standing there at the beach smiling, I just wanted to get up and bitch slap him and say, listen, <laughs> look around you. That thing that exploded 50 feet away from you could have been you. You could have been killed. Get back on the boat, go home and live your life. But he, but it wasn't. And therefore it's still exciting. Frank's Let's infant- move on. I know. Frank's infantry friends fight in the Battle of Lone Pine on August 6th. Afterwards, afterwards, a traumatized Bill tells Frank what happened to the others. Barney has been shot and killed and Snow is in the hospital, but in such bad condition that he is denied food and water. The following morning, Archie and Frank are ordered to take in charge at the Neck. Now, a division, we, do, a, a- we do visit Snow in the hospital. We do. 
And he's the only one of the lot that has been any level of sensible and respectful of what it is that they're going to do and understanding the gravitas of it. And he's been keeping a journal this entire time, which he then hands over to Frank saying, please make sure my family gets this so that they know what I did. I think at that stage, because when he says to Frank, they won't give me any food and water. Why do you think that is? I first thought, oh, because you're going into surgery. Upon thinking about this more, they already knew he was going to die. Yeah. And, and why waste resources so, on someone that you know is yeah. not going to make it? Why rash, Why give him food and water when we're rationing that anyway? Yeah. Let's just lay, let him lay here in, in comfort and let him pass away. And I think when Frank gets that journal and walks out of the tent, he knew that was the very last time he was ever going to ever yeah. gonna see snow alive. Yeah. And when Bill was saying that, you know, he was running alongside um, his mate and he's, and he, because the other guy was very lanky and very prone to, to, you know, mishaps. Yeah. And when he said he was running alongside of him and he tripped, he said, I thought he just tripped and fell. You know, and you know how lanky and, yeah. and clumsy he is. And he said, but he was shot and killed. Yeah. Bill was able to get out of it with his life, but he was already, he already had PTSD. He was already traumatized. Yeah, he was very traumatized watching belief. his mate die. Because, like, because he was just sitting there in just this, what do I do now? Yeah, I've lost almost catatonic mate. state. Yeah, I've lost my mate. You know, Snow's going to die. What do I do? Mm -hmm. That was really upsetting because you could just see that at that moment he had that look on his face like this was never supposed to happen. We were never yeah. supposed to do this. Yeah, it's we like, this oh, was, this isn't what we signed up for. Yeah, we thought this was going to be a great adventure and only this adventure was not what we thought it was yeah. going to be. Yeah. It was very, it was very upsetting. So they've got to do, um, so Frank and Archie have to do the charge in, into the neck, which is another part of the war, a, div a diversion to support of the British landing at Suva Bay. Archie is ordered by Major Barton to be the message runner. He declines the offer and recommends Frank for the role. Now, I thought this, this was this, actually this really nice a, of him. A seminal point in the film. It really and was. Again, it really speaks to Archie's belief in the mission and the the romantic notion of fighting for the country because yeah. he said to the commander I want to fight that's why I'm here that's why I enlisted that's the whole reason that I want to do this is not to be held behind the lines I want to be out there fighting for my country but do you think that at that moment, um, Archie actually gets an epiphany as because he said to him, you know, Frank's just as fast as I am. And he goes, well, no, I want you. And he goes, well, listen, I really talked Frank into this. He actually wanted to open a bike shop. Do you think at that moment he got morals and thought, I, I'll let him take the bullet for this and, and let him do the running rather than me? No. No, no, I think it, I think part of it was a genuine, I got him into this. I'd rather see him stay behind the lines because he really didn't want to be on the front lines. He didn't want to be in the infantry, but it, it's not until a few scenes, until just before that final push that Archie realizes what's really happening. You think he's got that realization that he's going to, he could get killed with this. It's yeah. And that only happened because it's, it's right before that final push and we'll get to it in a moment, but he's talking to that guy when they're in that holding pattern and the other guy says, do you think they're going to send us? He's like, no, there's, there's no way they will. There's no point. Cause there'd be so many casualties at that stage. Yeah. And, and, and they're starting to think, well, 
they've, they've got to see what's going on. It doesn't make any sense to just throw more of us at it and that we're hopefully going to be okay. But I think it was in that point. And then when they said, okay, we're going to go, that that's when he realized, oh, this is real. This so is now for anyone listening to the podcast who doesn't know about this attack on the neck, the Turkish um, side had actually, they there was the same trenches that the Australians had. The commanding officer, Barton, had been told that, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to fire a barrage of artillery onto where they are. So basically, as they're firing artillery, like any wartime situation, be it Vietnam or be it this, the other opposing side, being the Turkish or the Vietnamese, they had had dug trenches underneath the earth. So when the shelling was happening, they were able to pour into an area that was safe and secure. So <clears throat> when they were actually firing... Because, because the, the ability to shoot the mortars into the trenches, that level of precision doesn't necessarily exist yeah. at, in so World War One. They said they were going to be shelling between 10 and 15 minutes to try and get them away yeah. from, from their trenches. So when you see um, Major Barton looking over the ridge, there the cannons are actually firing about I don't know, 150 to 200 yards away from it. Yeah, they're so overshooting. Yeah, so it's actually sh overshooting them. So when they're shooting the, these big cannons, they're trying to clear the the um, the Turkish area out so they can then get over their wall and advance onto the next site. As they had, had fired, and they're looking at the, the clock going, hang on a minute, the, the, the artillery has stopped too early. And the other guy's sitting there going, they're pouring back into the trenches. So what had actually happened then is that the, the Turkish uh, soldiers had gone from the bottom of their trenches to the top and had actually had lined them with artillerymen and machine guns. So now they're on an yeah, they elevated... They gave them the time to get ready for the push. Yeah, and they're on, uh, on a, um, a higher position. So as the poor Australian army and also the New Zealanders are getting up from the... the, the ground position as they're going up over their wall they're getting mowed down because the turkish are already on an elevated position they're on the and they're the, already the, set up they're already, they're already set up and they're on the higher position so as they're getting up the poor um australian and new zealanders are just getting mowed down yeah. as they're coming over the, the ridge yeah they can't why, even make it halfway through no man's land no so that's why Barton said, I'm not sending any more because th it, it's just no point they're getting cut down before yeah. they get 50 he, all yards. it's doing is murdering these kids yeah uh, the the uh, the light horse are to attack in three waves across the stretch of ground defended by the Turkish machine gunners. The first wave is to go at 4:30 after an artillery bombardment. Unfortunately, the commanders commanders watches are unsynchronized and the bombardment ends too early. That's what I was saying about yeah when they were supposed to fire between ten between five and ten minutes of getting them out of the way. Yeah. So as the bombardments are happening, that's when they should have gone. Okay, go now. As the, the artillery is going over the yeah. top, they would have gotten out of their trenches, run across no man's land and took the... And engaged. The, and oh, and that the, was the other thing is they had them take out all of their cartridges and and run just with bayonets. Yeah. How, as, how and, you, and as you said to me, is it, they were literally bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah. And the, and the, and the Turkish have got machine guns. Yeah. That is firing but hundreds of rounds. They couldn't even rounds. fire back. Yeah, they, well, they couldn't. Because what happened was, and just thinking about it now, as the bombardment's going over and it was actually trying to clear out the Turkish defenders, 
then they, what they should have done is got the Australian and New Zealand uh, our soldiers to go out of their trenches onto no man's land, run to the Turkish trenches and overtook that and go step by step. Well, that was the idea. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, because, the British commander was an idiot. And because their, their watches were unsynchronized. Yeah. And this whole thing with going for the neck, it was to, to allow the British to land on the beach. Yeah. And when they fi figured out, well, are the British, you know, meeting any resistance? He goes, no, the officers are sitting on the beach drinking tea. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, well then, then they've come aboard. They've come ashore. We can stop this. We can stop the, we can stop this now. We don't have to send any more. Um, the brigade's commander, Colonel Robinson. Oh, I hated that guy. I this know. is the guy I hated more than anything. I know. Insist the Anzac attack proceeds and the first wave is cut down by the Turk, the Turks within seconds. The second wave goes over to a similar fate. Major Barton wants a halt to the attack to end the carnage, but the colonel says that someone told him the Anzac marker flags were seen in the Turkish trenches, indicating that the true. attack was partially uh, successful. This is where I got annoyed with not only um, the, the major, Robin, uh, the Robinson, the, uh, the colonel, but the other guy that was with Major Barton. Yeah. Because when he goes, oh, well, it's all very confusing, sir. Well I, so, thought, well, I thought I heard somebody say they saw it. They saw a marker flag. So on the the whole, when when Barton says, I want confirmation that it was actually seen, and he goes, well, who did, who, did you, who said who said it? He goes, well, I can't remember. And he goes, you bloody idiot. He was basically between him and the English officer. Those were the ones that cut down our soldiers at the neck. Yeah. Because all he, and of course he goes, well, no, I'm not sending any more. And this is why it says, um, the phone lines go dead and Barton gives Frank a message to carry to the brigade headquarters. But when he arrives, the colonel insists that the attacks continue. So if you remember when he gets back to the trenches and he goes, um, you know, they're getting cut. When he goes to the colonel, you don't understand what's going on. They're getting cut down before they get 50 yards. And he goes, there, there's been marker flags that are being seen. He goes, there hasn't been marker flags. They can't get any further than getting over the over the trench. And he goes, no, no, no. You tell Barton that it has to continue. Yes. Yeah, so when he, he goes back and the second wave goes. And then so he, he, they get cut down. And then he sends him back to command center again. And he talks to the other guy who's like, okay, I'll take it under advisement. We'll hold until I decide. Yeah. So, so he goes racing back trying to tell them don't go, but then they get the phones reconnected and the and the asshole English guy is like, no, send them. Yeah, well, I'm coming up to that. It says uh, Lieutenant Gray, that was the one that Major Barton was the second in yeah. command, uh, admits to Barton that he, he was the soldier who thought that he saw a, a marker flag. And that's when he said, you bloody idiot. Mm. Though he did not remember who told him, Frank suggests to the major that he goes over the colonel's head to the to General Gardner. Which he did. This, this was the guy that I thought, oh, my God, he's going to stop it. Yeah. Because he was the smart person in this. Not only Barton was sitting there going, I'm not going to send any more over. Yeah. But this commander was like, yeah, I, probably not a good idea. But I, I'll, I'll tell you, as Barton, I would have much rather faced... Um, insubordination charges by stop by not by dis directly disobeying an officer and not sending those men to their death knowing that it was pointless and and as they say it's often better to ask for forgiveness than uh, to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission absolutely and that was a perfect example of that but he honored the chain of command and followed that jerk's orders even though he didn't but no because what happens is when he 
when he when Frank gets back on the second time, he says to him, you know, the, the you know commander said that you have to go, and he goes, but you could go over his head and yeah. go to someone higher, and he goes, yeah. okay, go to the general. As yeah. Frank is running away, that's when the phone lines are reconnected. Yeah. And he goes, by my watch, Barton, they should have gone five minutes. He goes, you, you don't understand. He goes, they, the, the attack must continue. He goes, it's cold-blooded murder. Yeah. And he goes, I don't care. Send them. Yeah. So that's when the second yeah, well, wave and, goes. And, and that really speaks to the fact that this English guy had no respect or regard for the Australians and the New Zealanders. Yeah, he had no, he had, and, and this I'm coming It's like, up, as far as he's concerned, they're not British. They don't matter. They're cannon fodder. Who exactly. cares? Exactly. They're not, they're, they're not human as far as he's concerned. Because yeah. Because they're Australian and New Zealand. So Frank hurries to Gardner's headquarters down the beach. The general is informed that at Suva, or they, yeah, Suva, the British landing party is brewing tea on the beach. He tells Frank that he is reconsidering the attack. Now, the reason that he's running so fast is because the third wave is Archie's. Yes. And remember the guy standing next to Archie, he goes, they're not going to make us go again, are they? And he goes, no, there's no point now. So he already had this idea of like, oh, thank God I don't have to go. Yeah, they're all now thinking we're, we're going to be okay because they can't possibly send another wave because nobody's making it anywhere. Yeah. Frank, uh, uh, okay, so Frank sprints, uh, sprints back to the con uh, to convey the news, but the phone lines are repaired and Colonel Robertson orders the attack to continue. Okay, stop there. I am. Okay. <laughs> no, you want to say something, so go. Well, I want to take a moment. Yeah. And t- oh gosh, it was such an emotional part of the film. That yes, really I am actually crying just remembering it. That moment of the film, where they start to realize that they're going to be sent, and they're taking out their pictures of their sweethearts. And their children, and they're writing goodbye notes, and they're taking off their wedding rings, and they're hanging them up on the side of the trench before they go to their death. Yeah. No, you talk, I gotta cry. No, it was probably one of the most um, upsetting parts of this movie because. And I've got Oliver in here consoling me. Oliver's consoling <laughs> yeah. you. He, he knows. Because. You know, as Kat was saying, when you get to when you get the vision of all these young men basically not being able to say goodbye to their loved ones, but only being able to write goodbye notes. And you could see a man and you couldn't actually read the whole letter, but it started off with, you know, goodbye, darling. I'm I'm sorry that you know, I died in this situation. And and even Archie was was standing against the um because what happens is that it, as as you know, he's he's writing his his goodbye letter to his mum and his dad. He hangs uh, the only way they actually can can you know have the letters still attached to the trenches is if they put their knives into the sandbags. Yeah. And so because they they didn't have dog tags in those days, so there's no way to really identify the bodies, and they were all going to be buried in a mass grave. Yeah, so, so that was their only way to get like their wedding ring back to their wife. Yeah, so Archie's already written his goodbye letter, but. His grandfather had, or his uncle had given him the stopwatch when he was doing his running race of what the time was when he stopped. So Archie's got the the medallion that he actually won through the running race. So he's got that hung on his his bayonet knife, and he's got his letter to his mum and his dad, and he's got the 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 um the fob watch that's got his stop time on there, and that's hanging there as 
as well. And that and in the in, in the beginning of the movie, Jack says, you know, what are your legs? And he goes, they're springs. They're, they're still springs. springs. They're still springs. And he goes, what are they going to do? Is and he said they're going to hurl me down the track. And he goes, how fast can you run? And he goes, as fast as a leopard. And he goes, well, how fast are you going to run? And he goes, as fast, as, as, fast as, a as a leopard. And Jack goes, then let's see you do it. Yeah. In that moment, in the trench, there's Archie leaning against the trench, and he's got his gun in his hand. And he goes, what are your legs? They're springs. They're steel springs. And he goes, what am, What are they going to do? He said, they're going to hurl me down the track. How fast can you run? As fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? As, as fast, fast as, a, as leopard. a leopard. And he goes, then let's see you do it. Do it. Now, he already knows that he's got to go over because the next thing is, um, Frank, as as Frank's running back, the, the phone lines are, are attached. And he says, Barton, you've got to send the third wave. And he goes, I can't do it. You don't ha understand. He goes, you've got to send them. And he goes, you know, and he basically stands up and he goes to the trenches and he says, okay, boys, we're going. Just remember who you are. You're the Australian light horse. You're men from Western Australia. Good luck. And then he says that, that line of steel springs. Mm -hmm. Frank arrives seconds too late and lets out a scream of anguish and despair because he goes, the, obviously he puts the gun up and he blows the whistle to say, you guys, you boys have to go. Yep. As Archie's companions are cut down by the gunfire, he drops his rifle and runs as hard as he can. The final frame freezes on Archie being hit by bullets across his chest, head back as if breaking the tape at the finish yard of a hundred yard sprint and falling backwards. Yeah, he was the he made it farther than anyone else did on that campaign. He did. And that then the movie then fades to black. And that's the end of the movie. And it and actually the, the, uh, the, the bit of music is um it's called innocence lost yeah appropriate yeah oh the music in this film is beautiful i love the. i love so the... so well paired yeah it really was and especially when he's running back and forth that that oh the, the running montage yeah. yeah yeah um but it also before you know when when he was getting ready to run it, it did actually beg the question of if his family would actually be notified because he lied about his name to get into the army, he took LaSalle's name. Yeah, he said his name was Archie LaSalle rather than Archie Hamilton. Yeah. And it was only it was only Major Barton that actually recognized him and said, you're Archie Hamilton, aren't you? And he goes, don't worry, I'm not going to turn you in. I'm proud to have you with us. Yeah. But he would not have been, he, if, he, if there were markers for his death, he would have been marked down as Archie LaSalle's, yeah. not Hamilton. But I think that last moment where the whistle is blown and Frank just lets out a blood-curdling scream, and I think it's probably one of the most... Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of horror movies in my time, but I've never had a blood-curdling scream that's affected me in such a way it's as this so movie. It's so heart-wrenching. Because it was not a, a, a scream of, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm getting hurt. It was a scream of, my best friend is gone. Well, I've and, that's, and that's the thing is, you know, Frank would never admit it, but that was a lot of why he did what he did was to actually look out for this kid. Yeah. You know, he liked him. And I said he to you... He respected him. And I said to you, what sort of PTSD would um frank have in later life oh absolutely you know that there was an there was survivor guilt going on where he knew that he should have been the one going in the charge and that archie should have been the one running because that's why the commander wanted him 
Yeah. You know, and I don't think that he, I, did Archie tell him that he swapped it? That he no, did swap he never he never told Frank. Yeah, so he never knew that Archie sacrificed himself for him. No, he thought it was just because remember the commander. He thought it was lucky of the draw. Yeah, well, because yeah, because the, the other commander came over to him and said, you know, uh, Martin Button, uh, uh, Button needs a runner, so you're off the hook. Yeah. Not once did Archie say, "Oh, by the way, Frank, I gave you this job." Yeah. He just thought, as you said, it, it was the luck of the draw that he was the one that drew the short. Well, and that well, that's it. how they. That's why the commander let him into the light horses because he is a runner. Yeah. So he probably thought it was just that. But originally, when Barton said to Archie, I want you as a runner tomorrow, and he goes, well, no, I'm here to fight. Yeah. And then he goes, well, you should really go with Frank, because Frank's just as fast, fast as, as I am. I am. That's when Barton had the, the the change of heart and gave the job to Frank. Yeah. But when he came around that last corner, and he, Barton had already sent them with the you know over the, the top, Yeah. his scream was... was something that i in any movie i'll never forget because it was it was a genuine scream of if i had yeah. only gone a second faster there's there's a i can't remember the name of what movie it is but there's an an old black and white film from the, the i think it was from the 60s where it was i remember it was raining and this man's son had been uh murdered and he was and he and he went to him and he was you know kneeling next to the body of his son and he and and, and is it's music overlay so you cannot hear him screaming yeah so it's this silent screaming and he actually took inspiration from the the painting the scream yeah for this this part of it but it reminds me of that so much because it's so completely heart-wrenching that you just you 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 feel the grief and the See, pain. Even even I mean, this scream that Mel Gibson lets out is so genuine and 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 you could feel it in your yeah. soul when you when he screams. It didn't it it affected me more than even the last part of the Godfather Part Three where uh, Michael Corleone's daughter is killed when mm. when he's he was almost assassinated. Yeah, and she gets shot through the heart and dies in front of him, and he screams that he's lost his daughter. Yeah. That even that scream didn't affect me in the way that this one did with the loss of Archie as he went over the over the top of the trench. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, Archie did make it further than anyone had made it. Yeah. But he was still cut down by machine gun fire. And I think that the way that that Peter Weir did the the, the movie in such a way that when you see him shot, you didn't see him fall. He had no. the the as as the as the the text said, it was like he'd just broken the the tape of the hundred yard sprint. Yeah, it was um, it was the perfect the, place to 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 end. And that. it was it was a perfect freeze frame. Yep, you could see the bullet holes across his chest where he was killed. Yep, um, and the movie just holds on that image for a, about five seconds, and the, the screen fades to black with the lost of, loss of innocence. Yeah, song and the music, music in the background, but it just fades to black, and it's so impactful. And it was a very powerful moment that you could see that at that moment, everything that he tried to do in his life was that moment was that he would he'd let himself to get killed. Yep. And that scream that, that Frank did, yeah, he would have a massive amount of PTSD because when he was running up to Barton for that last time, 
He was stopped by soldiers. He yep. he was stopped by um they were pulling some mules down the down the Yep, the he kept he kept doing everything he could to get around the obstacles and he has to live the rest of his had to live the rest of his life knowing that if he had only been three seconds faster, he could because have stopped that, this. Because that call came in about five seconds before he they went over. Yeah. So if he had have been five seconds earlier than that phone call, yeah, they would he would have said, No, 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 the the the, the the commander or the the, yeah. the general has said stop stop no more and it would have been that archie would have been saved but because that phone call came in too late yeah and and frank was too late that was the end result yep so on a scale of zero to five zero being um i would never watch this movie again to five being i'd watch it as soon as it finishes what would you give this uh, movie a score of well, it makes me cry, so I wouldn't want to watch it as soon as it started, as soon as it finished. Yeah. Um, but I would actually probably give it a five. It was just a really beautiful film. I I am would I'm right uh, right there with you. I would not watch it again as soon as the credits are over. But I could not find anything that I disliked about this movie. It's but it's to do with my country, the soldiers that actually fought for my freedom and the freedom of all Australians. I'm incredibly proud of the, what the Anzacs did yep. and how they were, how they managed to do what they did, how they were staring down the face of certain death and they still went anyway. Yep. I have an amazing amount of respect for the Anzacs and, you know, people that, that do that. Yes. In that, in saying that I would not watch this movie as soon as it ends, but I cannot give it any less than a five. Yeah. It was because a beautiful I, did, film. I, I think the musical score of this movie was outstanding um just the lead up to the whole end of the movie the cinematography i love the fact that they were on location in cairo and in front of the the pyramids i think they just did the the, the entire movie was just perfect and, and if anyone watching this this or listening to this podcast um want to see the movie you can get it on youtube yep. just just um search gallipoli and it will come up with the entire movie Ad free, um, and is it is one of those movies that you, if you don't know too much about Australia and you want to know what the Anzacs stand for, because today being Anzac Day, we we um, celebrate and we um, pay great respect for our fallen soldiers. If you want to know what Anzac Day is, this is the movie to 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 see. And just so you know, Anzac stands for the Australia New Zealand Army Corps. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, being an Australian, I didn't know that. I, I learned that ask, when I was studying for my citizenship. I know, and I had to ask Siri, and you sat, you sat there listening, saying to me, uh, I could have told you that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even look for that one. Well, it also I, makes sense, too, with the fact that we're talking about the military in A-N-Z-A-C. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Australia, New Zealand Army Corps. Army Corps, yeah. But I'm incredibly proud of our, our fight, and I'm and I'm very proud of, even now of our, of our fighting men and women. Yep. Who are out there over in Afghanistan or wherever they're fighting now, keeping our freedom? Yep, agreed. So, so a, a lovely tribute to the uh, fighting men and women with much gratitude today. Absolutely. So, um, so before we we actually wrap up this podcast, next weekend is a very special weekend. It happens. Yes, to be. it is. Why is it a special weekend, Paul? It could be my birthday. <gasps> I know. I could tell everyone that I'm going to be 49, but that's embarrassing. But I am <laughs> going to be 49. It's a reality. I don't know. You know, I've had 49 wonderful years, and I am going to be 49, and it's it's definitely a reality because I still feel like I'm 16. 
Yep. And but I am 49. And you so, act like it sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> my gaming and stuff like that. So in saying that, it's my birthday pick. So for my birthday pick this year, seeing this is the very first year we've ever done a podcast, I'm choosing my favorite movie, Blade Runner. Yep. With Harrison Ford. So we are going to be reviewing Blade Runner on the podcast. In our and, next and, we're, and it'll actually be coming out on your actual birthday. It will be. So we are going to do my birthday um, podcast being Blade Runner. So I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast today. And thank you for also being part of honoring the uh, Anzac Day tradition and the Anzac Day memory. Yep. So in saying that. Have a great week and we'll see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for the Home Class Movie Chat with Gavin Paul. Home Class Movie Chat is produced and edited by Create Your Change. If you would like to launch a podcast, please contact Create Your Change at createyourchange.com.au or hello at createyourchange.com.au. Please follow Home Class Movie Chat on social media and sign up for our newsletter at homeclassmoviechat.com so you can keep up with the latest news. We hope you enjoyed yourself today and will join us next time. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast.